I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go again to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Some days are more important than others. Um, I think we all instinctively or intuitively understand that. Uh, some days we have more celebrations and, and we and some days stand out. If you look back over the course of, of your life, and, and I'm sure there's some, some momentous days that, that probably stand out and, and things that have happened to you or for you or, or you are part of something um, caused you to remember this and rejoice in it. And Easter Sunday is one of those days where there's, there's a certain extra buzz in the air. Um, it's always helpful when we have sun shining. Uh, that's always helpful. I think that's part of it if you live in you know, this, this Midwest, North Midwest. Uh, usually around Easter time, we're starting to finally get a break from snow, although we've all experienced snow on Easter before. Uh, but so there's a certain buzz in the air. People get dressed up. All the little girls have their pretty dresses on. Um, for breakfast, Mia was in her normal clothes, and then we, we, we changed her into her Easter dress, and, uh, which was good because I remembered it this time, because at Christmas time we had the same plan, and we forgot her dress at home. Um, so she didn't get to wear a Christmas dress. Uh, even Mike wore a tie today, which is... Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, that's, that's amazing. We didn't even know he owned them. So um, I think he rented it for the day. But uh, it's an important day. And we have different ways to, to celebrate it. But we have to stop and say, well, why is this day really that important? I mean, if, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, would that have changed much? Well, of course, you know my answer to that. You know that by what has already been said in the service and today, that this was a momentous day. But I want to examine just for a few minutes this morning of why this day is so important. Not because of getting dressed up or not because of festivities and breakfasts and things like that, but theologically, there is, there's, uh, it's important that we understand why this day is of utmost importance. Because without being melodramatic and without overstating it one inch, your eternal soul hangs in the balance of understanding the importance of this day. And so this morning, we really have two points that we want to look at this morning. That is, one, if Christ did not rise from the dead what would happen, but since Christ, secondly, since Christ rose from the dead, what does that mean? So first of all, as we look at this scripture and other scriptures this morning, let's consider this, this hypothetical situation. What if Christ did not rise from the dead? And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 answers this for us. In verse 14, it says, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Vain means worthless there or empty there. And so what he's saying there, he's saying that your faith is in vain. And so we could not be forgiven. If Christ, when he died on Friday and he went to the grave and he remained there like everybody else, 
And he stayed there, and his body decomposed, and he ceased to exist on this earth, and he did not rise from the dead. Then the theological connection that Paul is making here is he's saying that your, your faith is futile. It's worthless. And so you having a belief that Jesus exists is of no value at this point. And you will realize and you'll understand that as, as for a Christian, we understand that this is our only hope, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so we could not be forgiven. Verse 17 of this text says, If Christ had been not raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The hope of this, this earth that we have as a Christian is that we can be forgiven, and we can find forgiveness, and that, that the sin that, that we have committed will no longer be, be put on our account, or that we will no longer have to pay the penalty for that. I mean, the promise is given to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason why is because Christ rose from the dead. But Paul here, is he's saying, he's saying to the Corinthians here, he says, listen, you have to understand that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, you could not be forgiven at all. You would be dead in your trespasses and sins like he wrote to the Ephesians. If Christ did not raise from the dead, secondly, we could not offer any hope. He says in verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Well, what is preaching? Preaching is taking the truths and the promises of God's word and, and bringing them before people and reminding them and telling them and informing them of what God has designed and what God has, uh, has a purpose for his people. But if... If Christ did not rise from the dead, Paul says, we have no message to tell. You say, well, wait a minute here. I mean, the, the Bible is full of a lot of other stories and a lot of other principles, and there's a lot of good things about the Bible, and so that is of no effect if Christ is not risen? Yes, that is correct. I mean, we can, we can take principles from the Bible, but here's the key point, is that this is to fully understand the Bible. The Bible is not a map. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a story. It's a story of God's plan, of God creating man. In the garden, he created Adam and Eve. And he set them in the garden. He said, you can eat of all the trees in this garden. You can eat of the fruit of it. You can enjoy it. But there's this one tree I'm going to ask you not to eat of. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put it in the middle of the garden. He said, okay, every other tree, you can have it. You can have as much as you want. But this one tree, do not touch it. Because the day you eat of it, you will die. See, he was introducing this concept of obedient following of God and being obedient to God. And so he set up this one rule, just don't eat of that. Because if you eat of it, you will die. What was he saying? He was saying that you will disobey, you will break the law, and therefore you would be guilty. And I'm a holy God, he's saying. I'm a perfect God, and so I can only be with holiness. And so if you eat of this, the fellowship is going to be broken, and you will understand what death is. Adam and Eve ate of that tree. He ate that tree, they ate the fruit of that tree because they've listened to the enemy who deceived them by saying, oh, God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows that you, you will become like him if he does not want that. 
God does not have your best interest in mind. So they ate of it. Death came into the world. Romans says, and so by one man, sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, because we are the offspring of Adam and Eve, the imperfect uh, mother and father of ours in our family tree. That sin nature, that in imperfections has been passed on to us, and so we are born with a propensity to sin. We have a sin nature. I think I've told you this before, that one time I was talking with a lady. We were having a, a youth ministry. This is when I was in Rhode Island. And um, she came to me and she said, you know, I really appreciate your church and everything that you guys teach, but there's this one part of your teaching that I just cannot agree with. I said, well, what's that? And she said, original sin. Now, original sin means that we're born with a sin nature. And she, I said, well, why do, you, why, do you, why do you disagree with that? And she said, well, if you ever held a newborn baby and you just look into their eyes and you, and you, and you just see them smiling and, and giggling, and, and I don't know how you can say that there's anything flawed with that, and so I don't understand how you can teach that there's original sin. And so I asked her, I said, well, your daughter, she was in our youth program. I said, now, let me ask you something. I said, then at what age did you sit your daughter down and say, okay, if you're going to lie, here's how you lie. I'm going to teach you how to lie. She said, well, I never taught her that. I said, well, where did that come from then? You see, we're born with a sin nature because we are connected to Adam. And so you say, well, that's kind of unfair, right? That, that seems unfair that, that, that all of a sudden now I'm born into this world with a weakness. I'm born into this world with a proclivity to disobedience because of, of Adam and because of his actions. This is what Romans chapter 5 teaches. But here's the good part. The first Adam, he brought sin into this world. But the second Adam, which the Bible refers to as Jesus, He's the one that conquered sin. You see, so just because one man's sin entered into the world, so that by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, the Bible says many will be made righteous. So this is the hope that we have. And so we look at the Bible and we say, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things in the Bible and, you, and, and, and there's so many things that we can take away from it. But Jeremy, you said that there would be no hope if Jesus did not rise from the dead. That's exactly right because all the other principles, all those other good things, they all point to Jesus. They all pr- prepare us for Jesus. And so when we read stories in the Bible, like Jonah, we read story in the Bible about Jonah and how he disobeyed God and then he went to Nineveh and all these things and then how a revival came to that city. You read about that story and you say, okay, there's a story that we should learn to obey God in the first time instead of running from him. That's a principle we can learn from it. But what Jonah, Jesus said in talking about himself in Matthew, he says, there is a greater than Jonah here. And he was referring to himself in that he perfectly obeyed the Father's plan the first time. And so if all the scriptures point to Jesus, David and Goliath we read that story and we think, man, we need to, we need to, to, to uh, face our, the giants in our lives. And we need to be strong and we need to be courageous. And there's nothing wrong with taking some of those applications from it. But really the point of the story was to show that, that, that the, you know, where we fit in that story is that we're the Israelites who, would fa- who, who were afraid of the giant. We were afraid of the enemy. And so we needed someone to come in our place and defeat the enemy for us and our behalf. And it was an unlikely person in Jesus Christ. See, everything, you have to understand this, 
All of the scriptures point and prepare us for Jesus Christ. So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no hope. The whole rest of the scriptures, the point of the scriptures has been taken away at that point. So we can offer hope to you. You can offer hope to other people precisely because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so if it, the, you know, what Paul is saying here is he's saying that if Christ is still in the grave, if he did not rise, we, can, we cannot have forgiveness. We cannot offer hope. In fact, he says in verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And so he's saying that we are to the point of when we offer hope to somebody, we're misrepresenting God if Jesus did not rise from the dead. So when we tell people that everything will be okay, we're misrepresenting God at that point if Jesus had not risen from the dead. This is why this day is so important. It's so important that we understand that our hope is dependent upon Jesus rising from the dead. This is why we get together, and this is why we say, He is risen! And people say, He is risen indeed. This is the reason why we we wish each other Happy Easter, and we celebrate this day. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied, because we have wasted our lives. So even though Jesus was a good man, He was a good teacher, this is what a lot of times, this is the dividing point a lot of times that people, when they view Jesus, they say, well, you know, look, I, I understand that the Bible has some good principles in it. I understand that Jesus was a good man. I understand that he was a good teacher, that he was fair, and that he brought a lot of good to this world. But I don't know, I cannot accept that he's the Son of God or that he rose from the dead. If that is you, then... It's, it's, it's incompatible. He can't be a good teacher and not be the Son of God at the same time. Because he taught that he was the Son of God. If he was a good teacher and he wasn't the Son of God, or excuse me, if he was, a, if he was uh, uh, not the Son of God and he was teaching that he was the Son of God and he really was not, then he would be a really bad teacher. He was teaching everything about this obedience to the Father and that one day he would die, he would be buried, and he would rise again. So this truth of Jesus, of the resurrection, of Jesus rising from the dead is so important to us. But verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, we couldn't be forgiven. We could offer no hope. But number two, but since Christ is risen, what does that mean for us? We're going to look at different passages of Scripture here. Number one, and we'll stay here in 1 Corinthians 15 for the time being, is that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. Again, it says in verse 17, we would still be in our sins if Christ had not been, had not been raised. But since that he is raised, then the inference is there that we have have forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians 15, just a few verses up in verse 3, it says this, For I deliver to you first Excuse me, for I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
And it goes on to tell us how he appeared to several people, some who were even alive at the time of this writing, that they could verify this. But Christ died for what? Paul said, for our sins. So we can have forgiveness. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians, and I would just ask you to go back to, uh, over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for us, it'll be on page 922. In Acts 13, we have Paul on one of his missions journeys. And he's preaching here. In verse 36. Paul says this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Now the people that he was writing to, they revered David, King David. They held him in high esteem. They looked up to David. They, they thought that he was a man of great importance. And he was. And he was, indeed. And but Paul says he served the purpose of God. He did what God asked him to do. And then he died. And then he was laid and he was buried and he saw corruption. In 2005, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And while we were there, one of the places we stopped was the tomb of King David. And it's a most holy place in that area. There's people that, that flocked to this to, to see the, the, the grave of King David. And I remember walking through there and, and they had strict rules on what you could have on. And they had strict rules on recording and taking pictures and things like that. And, and we went through and I remember seeing the tomb, the grave of King David. And all the, the decorations that they had for it. He was a well-loved man. In fact, he was referred to in the scriptures. God referred to him as a man after his own heart. And he was someone who God used greatly. And he fulfilled the purpose. He was, he was someone who, who people looked to as a forerunner of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. And he was the king. And he was an unlikely king in so many ways. And, and then he defeated the giant, as we said earlier. And so many things that David did. And he was a great man. But Paul said, excuse me, yeah, Paul said here, he saw corruption. What does that mean? That meant his body decayed and bones were there. And he ceased to exist on this earth saw the tomb, saw where he was laid. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up, talking about Jesus, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. And so what he's saying there is he's saying that word therefore is very important there. In verse 38, he says, let it be known to you, therefore, because he did not see corruption, because God raised him from the dead, because he has risen, let it be known to you that through him forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. So it does not matter what sins you have done. I do not know all the areas of your heart. I do not know everything that you have thought, everything that you have done. You don't know every area of my heart. You don't know all the sins that I've committed. But it doesn't matter. Whatever burden you're bearing today, whatever, whatever, whatever sin you've committed, the Bible is clear. 
that because Jesus rose again, you can have forgiveness. You can have forgiveness. Jesus rose from the dead. So forgiveness comes through Jesus. He must be risen if there be any power or authority for issuing forgiveness. How could he issue forgiveness if he was still dead? So both his death and his resurrection are needed for God to forgive sinners. Now the fact that we can be forgiven is good news because everyone here today needs to be forgiven. There isn't a single person in this room that does not need the forgiveness of our holy God. And so when I tell you that one of the things that the reason why this day is so important that Jesus rose from the dead is so you can be forgiven, that is a personal application right to you and right to me. I've sinned against my God. I've done things I'm ashamed of. I've done things that I wish I could go back and change, but I can't. And I suspect that every one of you shares that sentiment, that, that, that feeling of saying that um, I wish I could change some things. I wish I could go back and do some things over. But you can't. But here's the good news. You can be forgiven. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible also says there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. So you can go to God directly through Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins. If you've never done that, let today be the day that you do that. Cry out to Jesus and ask him to forgive you because this is the reason why this day is so important. So since Christ is risen, we can be forgiven. Secondly, since Christ is risen, we can be healed. Go, you're already in Acts. Go over to Acts 4, if you will. That's page 912. As you turn there, let me tell you kind of what happened here. It's this, this story starts in Acts chapter 3. We have two individuals. We have Peter and John who are going to the temple to, uh, to pray. And there was a, a person, a crippled man, who was born crippled, who was at the gate, and he was there to beg and there to, to get money. And, and he, as Peter and John were about ready to, to go into the temple, he looked up to them and he asked them for money. And Peter looked at him and he says, hey, I want you to look at me now. He says, I don't have any gold, I don't have any silver, I can't give you anything, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man was healed. And he went rejoicing, the scriptures say that he was rejoicing with, uh, with Peter and John, and he was praising, he went to the temple with them, and the people, they saw him there, and they had known that he had been sitting at the gate for many years, uh, asking for money, he was a local beggar there that people knew, and, and that now they saw him running in the temple. And you can imagine the stir that that caused. And so Peter and John began to preach in the temple area there, and as the word began to spread. The religious leaders got, grew concerned and they brought Peter and John and this man before them to question them. So this beggar, he's healed. But I told you to go to Acts 4 and verse 8. Peter is responding to the leaders. 
the religious leaders. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So it was this risen Savior, the name of the risen Savior, that gave the power to to heal this man. The healing in this story is mainly seen as a physical healing, but there is much more involved than just the physical healing. The word healed there, it has the idea of me made whole, complete, well, healthy. In fact, if you, look, you compare verse 9 to verse 12, where it says healed in verse 9 and saved in verse 12, it's the exact same word. So this man, we could see by his response to how he was praising God after this, it was more than just his legs that were healed that day. His soul was healed that day. He experienced salvation from all effects of sin, physical, legal, and spiritual. And so it's because of Jesus Christ that we can have healing, that we can experience what healing is like. But the question comes up and probably comes into our minds is, then why do we still struggle? Why do Christians then need therapy and medicine and pain management? If Christ, the risen Christ, gives us the healing that we need, why do we have to go through this? Why is there pain in this world? Well, again, I refer you, ask to turn the page back in chapter 3. I believe that when Peter was speaking here, he helps us understand this. As he was preaching, the man had been healed, the man had been uh, uh, been made whole, and he was in the temple area there with them. And Peter used this opportunity to proclaim Christ to them. He says this in verse 17 And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. And turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Whom heaven must receive until a time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What was Peter saying there? He was saying that heaven must receive Jesus. That Jesus, he had ascended. He had gone back up. He had risen from the dead. We read about this in Acts chapter 1. And then he went up back to the Father. And there he is to this day. And he is coming back again one day with our hope that he's going to restore all things. And so, But I think verse 20, the first part of verse 20 is very helpful to us. He says, times of refreshing may come. One day we will, receive, we will see God restore all things. We will see God make all things well. And one day we will never struggle with pain and, and disease and sickness again. But right now we still live in the sin-cursed world. And so we have the idea of, we have the consequences of sin that we must deal with. 
We still deal with the effects of sin, even though if we are in Christ, we have been delivered from the penalty of that. The presence of sin is still here, and so there's some effects that we deal with. But the hope of Jesus Christ is that we have times of refreshing. So this world, we're never told that as a Christian, that the earth, that this world would be an easy place to live in. In fact, we're told that it's going to be very difficult. But the promise we have here is that there will be times of refreshment. Times of where we see God do some great things. And so what he was saying here is Peter was not saying that every person was going to be miraculously healed as just that he just did. But this was a time of refreshment that God had given to remind us that God is indeed powerful. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And even though the vast majority of it, even though we're told all people will die and we will feel this, and this lame man, he eventually died. But there was a time of refreshment where God gave a glimpse of what was to come. You see, we live in this earth not for right now. What is the purpose of your life? The purpose of your life is preparation for eternity. This is like the dress rehearsal. This is preparation. And so we're dealing with all the effects, the bad things of this world, but then God brings into our lives times of refreshment to remind us that one day we will be fully delivered. We're not fully delivered here, but one day we will. So we can be healed one day because Christ rose from the dead. The healing process has begun in your life, but it will be completed when Christ comes back. When we're in eternity, that's when it's completed. But right now, we're in the beginning stages of that. So sometimes there's good days and sometimes there's not so good days. Sometimes God will allow us to struggle with physical or emotional wounds in order to show us that his grace is sufficient to carry us through those times. We need to see and feel the effects of sin in order to appreciate the Savior and his salvation. If we didn't see and feel the effects of the physical weaknesses of this world and, and, the, and, the, and the effects of sin, then we would have no appreciation for the Savior and his salvation. So if you're in a struggle right now, if you're in a trial right now, could it be that God is simply trying to remind you that salvation is coming and to trust in him and then for eternity he will heal you, and you will be healed. See, this is the reason why Christ rose from the dead is so important, because we have this hope for eternity now. I've I've often said that if Christ, if I didn't have Christ, if, if Christ hadn't been risen from the dead, the best thing that I could do when I try to help people, when I talk to them through counseling, whatever, is I could just say this, life is terrible, life stinks, do your best. That's all I could say. I couldn't say anything. What else could I tell them? What else can I tell them? But Christ is risen. And so I can say God has a purpose, God has a plan, and one day he will deliver us for all eternity. There's hope. This is why if Christ isn't risen, we're to be most pitied because we have no hope. But we do have hope. Thirdly, as we look at what this means if Christ, since Christ has risen, is that we can be represented. What does that mean, represented? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, 
It says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of the Father? Who indeed is interceding for us? You have, if you believe in Christ, and the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, that means he is representing us to the Father. That means he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. That means that he is bringing us our needs before the Father. He is our advocate. And he can only do that because he's alive. If he was not alive, he could not do this. We would have no advocate to the Father. We would have no interceder. We would have no representation. But because he is risen, we have someone that represents us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 25 says, The former priest, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament priestly system there. He's saying the former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. And so he's saying that these priests in the Old Testament, there was a lot of them because they couldn't be an eternal high priest because they died. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. When they died, they couldn't fulfill their job anymore. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Who's he talking about there? Jesus. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so Jesus is our high priest. What was a high priest? A high priest was someone who represented, represented uh, uh, was the, the person between God and man. And so he would bring the people's requests to God, and he would bring the sacrifices for God to receive. And so they, that went away because Jesus became the permanent high priest. And he always lives to make intercession for them. So what does this mean to be represented by Jesus? Why is that such a big deal? Well, it's because he's praying for us. And one of the ways that he's praying for us, he's praying that our faith would would remain strong. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, Peter, he was talking to Peter. And Jesus said to him, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is praying for your faith. You say to me, you say, Jeremy, some days I just have weak faith. And I say, get in line. I say, well, here's the hope, though. Jesus prays for your faith to remain strong. And this is why when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The reason why Paul was so confident, your faith, if we are truly in Christ, that our faith would remain, the reason why he was confident was because Christ is behind it. He's given faith to us. And you say, Jeremy, I don't have faith. Ask God for it. Ask God for it. I've had people tell me, they say, Jeremy, I admire your faith. I just don't have it. What do you say to me? And I say, I say, ask God for it. What is he going to do? Say, no. If you say, God, I want to believe in you, help my unbelief, is God going to say, nope, absolutely not? That's a prayer request God will answer. If you ask sincerely for God to grant you faith, he will give it to you. Because Jesus here, like Peter, he's praying for the strength of our faith. So when you have days where your faith is being attacked, and you're walking this life, and you're feeling the effects of this this sin-cursed world, 
and you don't know if you can continue on, I would just ask you to remember this passage here, that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. And one of the ways he prays for you is that your faith would remain strong. I am humbled that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would condescend to pray for my faith. I'm amazed that the God, Jesus, who went to the cross and stretched out his arms and died for me would then ever live to bring me before the Father and to pray for my faith. This is a good God we have. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the risen King. It also is important because this intercession because he represents us in all matters related to God. Hebrews 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so in order for them to have forgiveness of sins in this Old Testament sacrificial system, is that someone else had to offer the sacrifice on their behalf. They couldn't do it on their own. And so they needed a high priest to do that. And Jesus Christ is the one who does that for us for all eternity. And he represents us in matters to God. God, when he looks at me, he should just see guilty. When he looks at me, he should just see someone who is in violation of law. But in fact, he doesn't see me. He sees my representative. He doesn't see me. He sees the one who represents me. And it is Jesus, the risen Savior. This is why this intercession is so important. This is the reason why having representation is so important. Because he sees him. God sees him. He doesn't see me, because if he saw just me, he would just see guilt. He also, this intercession is important because he helps us during temptation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, he's able to help those who are being tempted. When you're tempted to disobey, when you're tempted to fall away from God, when you're tempted to sin, we have help available to us through Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be represented. And finally, what it means to be represented is that he provides mercy and a great help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you need help, Jesus is there. So if you're having a bad day at work, Jesus is praying for you, if you are one of his. If you've accepted Christ, if you've asked him to be your savior, the theological term for this union with Christ, if you are with Christ, if you have asked him, you remember in Acts where it says that uh, in verse 19, 3, it says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn and to change. It means to change direction and say, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to follow after Christ. If you've repented and you've asked God to save of your sins, then Jesus is praying for you. Are you frustrated with the pain of this world? When you read in the news in Kenya of 147 students being shot simply because they're a Christian, Understand that Jesus is interceding for them and for you. You feel like your faith is weak? Feel like you can't continue on? Understand that Jesus is praying that your faith would endure. 
You feel the pull of temptation. Activities that you know you shouldn't be involved in. Places you shouldn't go. Sites you shouldn't visit. You feel the pull, the temptation. The quick response, the sharp tongue. Judgmental attitude. Condescension. We all feel it. Understand that because Jesus has risen, he's alive and he's offering you help. If he were not alive, if he were not risen from the dead, we would not have Jesus' intercession. We would not have this hope that I'm offering. That brings us to our final point this morning. Since Christ has risen, we can have hope. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see how that this whole chapter really is about this resurrection of Jesus Christ. I find it interesting how the apostle then ends this letter in verse or this chapter of this letter in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 after talking about Jesus after talking about his his resurrection after talking about the importance of that he says in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 therefore and again every time you see therefore understand that that's a connection connecting word it's connecting it to the previous thought or thoughts therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, I used to look at that verse kind of out of context, and I would remember I had memorized that verse, and, and it was more of a battle cry for me. I looked at the verse, and it was more like, okay, Jeremy, today you need to be steadfast. Today you need to be immovable. Today you need to abound in the work of the Lord. And knowing that whatever I do, it's not in vain. And that was kind of like my, my, I was psyching myself up, if you will, for the day. And my cheer, uh, that I was, you know, a one-man cheerleading squad for my own soul's sake. And, and that's, that's kind of what I looked at. But as I began to study this text, I began to realize that I was looking at it the wrong way. Because in the way I just described it, it was more like me. I had, to, I had to build this up and I had to say, okay, I need to live this way. But you know, I got really frustrated with that because there were so many times I didn't want to do that. There's so many times I felt like I didn't have the power to do that. But when I look at the context of it, it says, therefore. What is he saying? He's saying the only way you can do that, the only way you can be immovable, the only way you can be always abounding for the work of the Lord is if the risen Savior is a reality to you. Understanding that the power you receive to have hope in this world is directly connected to the fact that Jesus is alive. If Jesus were not alive, we could not do this. Because Jesus is alive, he makes this possible. If Jesus were not risen, our trials would be crushing. They feel like it now, but we know that they are not crushing because of what we read in the scriptures and because of the experiences we received of God's grace carrying us through. There are many times where people have gone through intense trials and everyone looks around them and says, how in the world are you doing this? And more often than not, the Christian responds, it's God's grace. He's holding me. He's giving me grace that I, I can't explain. And the only way that he can do that is because Jesus is risen. Jesus has risen to give you hope. 
and give you help in time of need. If Jesus had died and stayed in the tomb, he could not give you hope or help during these crushing trials. But why does life have to be so hard? Why do we have to go through the trials and the weaknesses of this world? Wouldn't it be easier if God wanted to show his love and just snap his fingers and all evil would be gone in the world and all the trials and tribulations would be out of this world? Wouldn't that be better? I have thought of that myself many times. I suspect I'm not the only person in this room that has thought that. But if we didn't get a real good sense of how crushing trials would be to us, would we worship Jesus? We would think it would be of our own doing. We would think that this is just normal life. But God, in his mercy, lets us feel enough of the effects of sin so that we get a good understanding of our Savior and our salvation. Will we trust in Jesus? Will we depend on him for our every decision? We would not. So the pain we feel of this world points us to the grace that we need. If it were not for the pain, we would ignore what we need, and the result would be death, eternal death. So in love, God allows us to feel the poison of sin so that we will be driven to accept the antidote that we all need. God has offered help in the person of Jesus who died and rose again. If there were no resurrection, we would all be hopeless and condemned. But because Jesus died from the dead, we can be forgiven. We can be healed. We can be interceded for and given great hope in the midst of this difficult world. These are the great reasons to celebrate today. So when life's trials of, uh, feel crushing, know that Christ is praying for you. When you get those moments of refreshment in this life, know that they are hints of even greater things ahead. Please don't live for today. Don't focus on the present. The present is simply preparation for the future. I said earlier, this life is just the dress rehearsal, the prototype, the soft opening, or the appetizer for the feast to come. If you go to a restaurant and the appetizer isn't that great, you probably won't mind as much because you know the steak is coming. Jesus conquering the grave and death makes it possible for you and me to do the same one day. Understand that something greater is coming. I have hope in eternal life. You say, Jeremy, why do you hope that there's even another life after this? Here's the reason. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he will raise us up one day. This is why we celebrate. This is why this day is so important. Let us pray. Father, I pray you'd impress upon our souls, upon our hearts, of why this day is so important. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today that is not a believer in you, they have not repented of their sins, that you would call them to do that today. I pray you give them the courage to reach out to myself or someone else in the church here and ask questions of what the Scriptures really teach about this.
that you grant them faith. Father, there's people in our midst that are struggling in their faith. I pray that you'd strengthen it. Jesus, pray for us. We need it. Thank you, Jesus, for offering help to us in times of need, in times of trial. Give us the grace to respond in obedience. And so I just want to say one more time today, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for conquering sin. Thank you for giving us hope of a greater life ahead. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has risen indeed, I pray this. Amen.